right, welcome to another edition of Inside the Athlete's Mind. My name is David Strugal. I'm a professor of communication at Hiram College. With me, as usual, Andrew White, professor of psychology, psychology and the coordinator of the sport management program at Hiram College. He specializes in psychology of sport-related injury and mental skills training for sport performance. Andrew, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks, Dave. How are you? I'm great. Well, we're recording today on Friday, June 19th or Juneteenth, which we will talk about later on and its significance and how it's interrelated with sports. But first, I want to start with this uh, Twitter beef. Kendrick Perkins, former Cavalier, former NBA veteran, said on Twitter that LeBron James is the greatest athletic player in NBA history. And he posted a clip of LeBron jumping high to catch an alley-oop attempt that was off the mark, saying, hey, look, here's evidence that LeBron is the greatest uh, NBA athletic player in NBA history. To get pushback, of all people, Bill Russell, one of the greats ever, he responded by posting pictures of him from track and field and how he was ranked as a top 10 athlete in track in the high jump. And he posted a video of him getting a rebound in the key about four feet from the hoop and then taking off dribbling. I counted five times from near one basket to the other end and gliding in for layup. Now, Bill Russell's prime, he was 6'9", 224, and he could run like a deer. Um, First of all, to throw this at you, Andrew, how fair is it to rank, and I hate the term athletes, such as in this case, from Bill Russell's era to LeBron James, you this is your field of training, sports performance. Things are so different now in these generations. So I don't know how you want to address this, but go for it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so first off, just a great response by Bill Russell there. Uh, he truly was remarkable. Uh, but we're just living in a different time now. There's, It's so much easier to know what someone is capable of no matter your age. So from toddlers to centenarians, you know LeBron James. You've seen it. You've seen him in action. Um, But you're going to find a lot lower rate of familiarity for Bill Russell, especially for people under eh, 45 or so. Uh, So uh, Kendrick Perkins showed some good self-awareness, I guess, uh, and respect for his elders, maybe, Uh, essentially saying, my bad, sorry, LeBron, I was wrong in response to Bill Russell's post. So they're having some fun with it for sure. Uh, But getting back to comparisons more broadly, personally, I'm not a huge fan of ranking athletes across eras. Uh, It's human nature to want to make these comparisons and rank. But uh, even when you're ranking within an era, it can be dangerous and kind of have limited upside. Uh, So it may be a bit motivating there could be that motivating factor there a little bit you want to rise up and be considered the best but it can also be distracting for some so you may focus on getting better than that particular comparison person but basketball is a team sport so you need to be great at your role within the team philosophy working hard to be considered better than someone else may not really fit into the team aspect of the game so sometimes chasing those individual accolades takes away from that uh, I guess I could, I mean, I could go on for this forever, but I just want to point out the broad nature of talking about if, if he were to say greatest athlete ever. Uh, so Perkins 
specified to NBA history, but a lot of people do just say athlete. And you mentioned how you don't like that uh, term too much. And I don't like it for talking about comparisons here because you're just lumping way too much in for me to accept saying anyone is the greatest athlete ever. So people do say that about LeBron, but greats like Michael Phelps, Roger Federer, Muhammad Ali, Usain Bolt, Jesse Owens, Jackie Robinson, they would all have something to say about that. And that's just the men. So what about Simone Biles, Serena Williams, Monica Sorenstam, uh, Jackie Joyner, Kersey, Mia Hamm, Babe Diedrichson, Billie Jean King, Wilma Rudolph. You can go through so many lists. Uh, how do you really say who's the greatest athlete? So that's a discussion that I, I mean, I'll, I'll listen to people having the debate, but it's just so hard to weigh in on that. Thank you for touching on that and my frustration of the word athlete, because just prior to our recording, I looked it up and the definition of someone who is proficient in sport or physical activity. And I thought, well, if we're going to talk about athletes, then I started thinking about my list. And, you know, you mentioned Babe Diedrichson, who won everything in every possible sport for women. And I was thinking, what about multi-sport athletes? What about the Bo Jacksons, the Danny Ainges, whoever that excelled in several different sports? And that's why I just have issue with that term athlete. And yeah. it's it's just too hard to rank. And being in our field of academics, we always talk about constructs and how you operationalize certain words and phrases. So how you operationalize athlete, to me, that's troubling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, you, you know, and the whole thing in this, maybe it's just a situation of the pandemic, but one of the byproducts of this is all these these lists of ranking people and ranking athletes and the greatest point guards, the greatest centers. And, if of course, it's rejuvenated the whole who's the greatest, Jordan or LeBron argument. And I think I saw a couple times actually Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's name came up, which was refreshing for me because he's my favorite basketball player. And, you know, so again, another different comparison and different era, what have you. And I I think to include some of the media aspect of it, you know, Bill played at a time where there wasn't social media, there wasn't uh, widespread TV coverage of games. So, it was hard to see a lot of what major athletes back then did. And I got to tell you, when I saw that clip of him taking the rebound and sprinting down the court with the basketball and gliding it for layup, I thought, man, that was pretty sweet for a big guy to do. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just kind of cool to see that footage. You don't get to see it too often. And nowadays, clips of LeBron, you'll have him, I think even the one that Perkins posted, they pause it, they rewind it, they can spin the camera angle around, and you see it from all these different angles. Uh, it's, it's just the era we're in now. So it's totally different. Indeed. This is Inside the Athlete's Mind. I'm David Struke along with Andrew White. Let's switch gears a little bit, but stay with basketball. Kevin Love uh, of the Cleveland Cavaliers will receive the Arthur Ashe Courage Award from ESPN for his work in being a public or going public with his struggles with mental illness. And Love has said that he has suffered panic attacks in the middle of games. And according to Kevin Love, he said, quote, For me, I was done suffering. I was done compartmentalizing and putting it away. I wanted to reveal some things and heal it. As long as you can help just one kid, it's going to make all the difference. Andrew, if you could explain when he talked about, and he's alluded to sometimes, having panic attacks in games, uh, what might, how might that manifest in a game? Like what? 
what are some of the things he might have been experiencing? Yeah, so, I mean, a panic attack doesn't really matter if it's in an NBA game or if you're just at home going about your daily life. Uh, Intense fear, uh, a lot of apprehension that something really bad is going to happen, and there's some physical symptoms there for sure. So really rapid heart rate, shortness of breath, chest pain, dizziness. Uh, Some people feel like they're choking. It may even feel like a heart attack. Um, Some people have said that they feel like their surrounding surrounding events aren't really real. So it's kind of this depersonalization. Maybe you're watching yourself go through a situation. Uh, It's going to vary from person to person exactly what it's like, uh, but it is an intense physiological, psychological experience, uh, typically lasts several minutes. Uh, so I can see how that would be really scary and hard for him to be on the court or even even if he's on the bench. It would be hard to be in the bench with everyone, so many thousands of people looking down at you at that time. Now, are there, are there things maybe now that he's been open about it and are, are there things that he's obviously well self-aware that coach teammates can pick up on and uh, say, hey, whoa, what's going on here? You know, is, is it easy for his cohorts and colleagues yeah. to pick up on? Um, so it depends. Some people, these panic attacks are just random. And eventually you may be able to notice specific triggers. Not always. Uh, I don't know. I, I haven't seen him talk about any particular triggers for him. So... If there are specific triggers, then yeah, a coach or teammate could try to help make sure they aren't providing any of those triggers that may cause a panic attack for him. If they seem to be random right now, it's going to be hard for anyone to pick up on a cue that may lead to a panic attack. Uh, But it's always going to be helpful for the teammates and coaches to just be open to learning about it and understanding his situation. Uh, There may not be much they could do to stop one but still being there, uh, open and understanding for him. Sounds good. And, of course, Kevin Love has created the Kevin Love Fund and continues to shed light on dealing with mental health as he's spoken to conferences, he's met with children who are also going through some of the same struggles. Saw an interesting quote from Rob King. He is the senior vice president and editor-at-large for ESPN. He said, Kevin has courageously challenged stifling norms about mental wellness and masculinity, especially in the world of sports. His bold leadership in removing the stigma around mental health issues is helping many people, making this a well-deserved honor. And I guess I want to unpack that comment for just a little bit. What are some norms that you've seen on or addressed in research relating to mental wellness and individual and team performance when he addressed some of those norms about mental wellness? Uh, Well, I mean, there's definitely a connection between mental health, mental wellness, and performance. Uh, I mean, anxiety in a game, whether it's actually clinical level or just kind of your everyday run-of-the-mill feelings of anxiety, that can deter from effective performance. So your, your emotions absolutely play a role. Uh, in terms of norms, you get kind of an intersection of that masculinity and sport norms here. Um, you know, in sport, you want to be seen often. The perception is that you want to be tough. You want to be indestructible. And mental health challenges may put a chink in that perception. Uh, so some athletes don't want to actually show that they have these uh, mental health concerns that are 
perfectly normal. Uh, if you are doing research on that, you'll find that athletes experience these issues just like everyone else. Uh, in some cases, it'll be more severe. In some cases, it'll be less severe. But there's this wall that goes up, and uh, they may not want to talk about it. They may not want to seek help. Uh, and it's pretty similar to what you see with masculinity norms, where uh, there may be higher rates of certain mental illnesses in women, but it's simply because men don't seek out treatment for it. They they suffer and they struggle alone with it. Uh, and you see similar things with athletes there. Indeed. I have to address this as well about Kevin Love on a positive note. Four years ago, I see all over Facebook, all over Twitter, four years ago it was the Cavaliers who won the NBA championship over the uh, Golden State Warriors coming back from a 3-1 deficit, so I have to highlight uh, a huge highlight in uh, Kevin Love's career. Where were you when that happened? Where was I when that happened? Oh, man. I was, let's see, four years ago. I actually would have been in Minnesota still. Okay. So I, I don't think I even saw that game play out live. I happened to be outside the arena in Cleveland and was a whole oh, nice. with a whole bunch of other happy Clevelanders at that time. Um, so very happy to experience that. Yeah. Let's shift gears. Let's go to Juneteenth, which is today. It's a holiday celebrating the liberation of those who have been held as slaves in the United States. Originally a Texas state holiday, it is now celebrated annually on the 19th of June throughout the United States with varying official recognition. Specifically, it commemorates the Union Army General Gordon Granger announcing federal orders in Galveston, Texas on June 19, 1865, proclaiming that all people held as slaves in Texas were free. Now, this was two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation uh, was signed. It was an executive order signed by President Abraham Lincoln. It affected more than three and a half million African Americans in the country at that time. And the big reason why it took so long because of taking the word to get down to Texas at that time. And interesting how we talked about just the ease of communication just shows you uh, the way word traveled even way back when. And this serves as a transition to the last thing I wanted to talk about for a podcast was uh, a week or so ago, I saw a story about the new Browns head coach, Kevin Stefanski, who took his two sons to a peaceful protest in Avon. Because uh, he wanted to send a message to his players that he has their backs and will support them. And wanted to really address Kevin Stefanski being a great role model to his kids as well as to the players. And especially being that today, Juneteenth, is meant to celebrate achievement of African Americans as well as educate others about African Americans. And Kevin Stefanski being a great role model in terms of a leader for a franchise to do that and invite you, Andrew, to, I guess, elaborate on some of those kinds of things and touch on uh, the things that Kevin Stefanski has done. Yeah, I mean, you highlighted it really well there. Uh, I would just take it a step higher in organization. So uh, 100% agree with what you said and a lot of the professional sport organizations are taking actions to move in this direction as well. Um, NFL offices, NFL teams, NBA teams, including our Cavaliers, they are having today, Juneteenth, June 19th, be an actual paid holiday for their employees uh, in recognition of the day. Uh, 
to a lesser extent, other organizations are trying to move in this direction in response to the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, so even NASCAR banning Confederate flags uh, from any of their events. So certainly not on the same scale, but it is a step. So for sure, props to Coach Stefanski here. Uh, he's he's showing and actually taking action. Um, it, it's it's not. It goes well beyond just his team and helping him show them that he's behind them and he's with them. But, you know, it's it's bigger than sport. Yeah, and I'm really glad you brought up NASCAR as well because I think Bubba Wallace also was very outspoken on that as well. So it's good to see that organizations are addressing this head-on and really shining a light on the issues that things need to change um, and it needs to happen. Absolutely. Anything else you would like to address, Andrew? Uh, it's always an eventful two weeks, it seems, between chats, but we've covered a lot of ground as usual. Yeah, uh, I don't have anything to add. I'm curious what the next two weeks will bring. All right. Well, thank you very much, Andrew, and we'll see you next in two weeks when we do another edition of Inside the Athlete's Mind. Sounds great. See you, everyone.